Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I don't know about you, it might be just me, but I just don't think flying is fun anymore. You know, it used to be enjoyable. It used to be, I looked forward to getting on an airplane and going on vacation or, or going down to uh, see a conference or something. You know, I always looked forward to it. It was just a lot of fun. I, I love to take off. I love watching the ground, you know, kind of disappear and everybody turn to ants. You know, I always enjoyed that. And now it's just, it's just not fun anymore. I mean, you got to get there two hours ahead of time. And it's so expensive to, say, park on, on site. So you do the off-site parking, which means you've got to be like two and a half hours early. Then you get on the shuttle. You get to the place. You stand in a line. It's got to be at least a mile long. And you've got to pull out. You know, you've got to have your ID. You've got to have your ticket. They let you through. And then you go through, and, and you've got to open up your suitcase if you're doing a carry-on. And you have to have your aftershave and your shampoo. and all. It's all got to be in a clear plastic bag, not a regular gallon-sized bag. It's got to be a sandwich bag-sized bag. And you put that, you got to show them all of that stuff. You got to empty your pockets. You know, you got to take off your shoes. You got to take off your jacket. You got to take off your belt. You got to, I mean, you know, it's like a strip search. And that's if everything goes well. You know, if there's a problem, you know, you set off the beeper as you go through the scanner. Now you got to stand off to the side. You know, you stand with your hands out and they take the wand and they put it all kinds of places. You know, and it's just like, it's just not fun anymore. I still like the flying, but it's all the hassle to get there. We live in a free society, but we know that freedom is dangerous. And so we put limitations on our freedom. Sometimes the limitations are due to security. Sometimes the limitations on our freedoms that we put on it are for the good of society as a whole. Certain rules, laws, regulations, so that we can all get along in this freedom. Sometimes the limitations are personal and individual. But though we live in a free country, arguably the freest country in this world, the freest society in this world, freest society probably in all history, we still don't experience true and lasting real freedom. There's always limitations on it. We're not sure how to live this free life. Paul writes about, in his letter to the Galatian churches, it's all about freedom. It's what the theme is throughout the whole letter. And he keeps writing to them, keeps pounding on this one issue because he knows we have a hard time learning how to live in freedom. And he writes about it. And he says over and over and over again, things like, you've been set free, so stand in your freedom. Don't let yourself be sucked into slavery all over again. It's all about freedom. Freedom from the past. Freedom from my mistakes. Freedom from my struggles and my hassles and my trials during life. Freedom to to live in a relationship with him. Freedom really from even religious ritual. And he writes about it. We're going to continue in the letter. Galatians chapter 5. If you want to follow along on the provided Bibles there, it's page 1154. But he writes these words. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated then to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
Skip down to verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, you've been called to freedom. Live in this freedom. How do I live in freedom? How do I live this free life? He says, there's only one way. Love. Love is the way that you live in freedom. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. What it means to be free to truly love. What it means to live a life of love. What does this love life look like? And the thing he says, first off, that you've got to be absolutely and clearly convinced on. More than anything else, you've got to understand that love is the fullest and the freest expression of our faith. Love is the only thing that truly expresses what Christ has done for us. It's the only real expression. And you've got to believe that. There is nothing else that you do that expresses your faith more than love. Nothing. He says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Stand your ground. Don't let yourselves be burdened again. We have been set free so that we could live free. He said the only reason he set us free is so that we could live this free life. That's what he did it. The problem is we don't know how to live in freedom. And we are very much like a very dark period of the history of our country. We had a, in the early stages of our country, slavery was a big thing. And we fought a civil war over this whole concept of people being free, everyone being free. 600,000 men, over 600,000 men, lost their lives fighting for that freedom. And finally, the war was won by the Union Army, and, it was, and the slaves were all set free. But you know what happened? Most of the slaves that had been set free didn't know what to do with their freedom. All they had known all of their lives was working in the, in the, in the fields. The only thing they knew how to do was to do that kind of work. They'd been set free, but they didn't know how to live the free life. And so what happened in our history was something called sharecropping. And it was a very dangerous thing. Because what happened was these people that didn't know how to do anything else but work the fields got in, they, got, they were free from their slavery, but what happened was that the landowners then would hire them to still work the fields. And the way that they did it is, they said, well, you can come work for me, and when the harvest is brought in and we bring in all the money, you will get a portion of that. Sharecropping. Sounds like a good deal. Except for none of these slaves had anything to live on for the time, the whole year that the, the fields were planted and had to grow up and were harvested. So what the landowner would do, he says, well, I'll front you. 
I'll front you all the money, your living expenses, your tools, your, you know, all the stuff that you need to be able to work the land. We'll come to the end, harvest season. Harvest would be brought in. Money would be dispersed. The only problem was they never made enough money to be able to pay off the debt that was fronted up to them. So they'd work harder the next year and think, well, now I'll get out of debt. And they come to the end and they get their share and it's still not enough because they had to borrow now for this last year's living expenses because they didn't have enough last year. And so what happened was, though they were free, they were still enslaved. It was just another form of slavery. They could never get ahead because they could never pay off the debt of the landowner. And Paul says, that is a risk that we take. He says, Christ has set you free to live and stand in freedom. Don't get back, sucked back into just another form of slavery. You're set free. Okay, well, free to do what? What do I do? How do I live? What should I go? Where should I go? How, how do I live this new life? And because they didn't know how to do it, it would, it would simply slip back into the old religious ritual. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And some of the biggest issues had to do with circumcision, Sabbath keeping, and dietary laws. Because those were the marks. Those used to be the marks of righteous people. And, and, and the one that Paul talks about particularly here is circumcision. Circumcision was a private mark on the most intimate part of a man's body. And there was a great deal of meaning attached to it because it was a mark that you are now separated from the world. That you are not whole. A part of you is missing. But you are now joined to God and He is the fulfillment of all that you need. That's what it meant. That's what it was all about. It was reduced to a ritual. If you want to be right with God, this is the precursor. Yeah, He accepts you just the way that you are, but you got to go through circumcision. And all these Gentile believers were being told, you got to go through circumcision. He accepts you, yeah, but you're not fully accepted until you do this. And Paul fights against that. He says, that's just another form of slavery. If you give in to that, you're going to be stuck with the whole law. You're going to be stuck in that slavery. And it might look like freedom, but it's just another form of the slavery that you've been brought out of. And so he says in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only way. That is the mark now of your faith. That is the mark of your righteousness. That is the mark of your salvation. That is the mark of your rightness with God. It's that you live this life of love. It's the only thing that counts. And what he described it as is this is a life with God. You live now in relationship with God. And he said it is a life by his Holy Spirit. In fact, he goes on. He talks about this. Verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. Verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 25. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. He said this new life of freedom is lived in relationship with God through his Spirit. And it was the very thing that Jesus had promised. When Jesus said, the spirit of truth, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He said, this is who I'm sending to you. And so often we give in to other marks of our righteousness because we don't believe that God could really change us. We got to do it ourselves somehow. And he says, don't give in to that. Now, this life with the spirit is not some vague mystical, floating on a cloud, other realm of reality kind of a thing. It's not that mystical. But it also is not by the book, 
letter of the law, black and white, do this exactly, and if you do it just right, you get in. It is neither of those things. It is simply doing life in connection with Jesus Christ. It's living with Him. He says the Spirit of God lives with you and will be in you. It's living every moment of my life realizing that I am connected with God. John Ortberg in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, put together a list of foundational truths of my life with God. He said these are the things I've got to remind myself of every day. First one is God is always present and active in my life whether, I, whether or not I see Him. Secondly, Coming to recognize and experience God's presence is a learned behavior. I can cultivate it. Third, my task is to meet God in this moment. I am always tempted to live outside the moment. And when I do that, I lose my sense of God's presence. He says, sometimes God seems far away for reasons I I do not understand. Those moments, too, are opportunities to learn. When I fail, I can always start again right away. No one knows the full extent to which a human being can experience God's presence. And though my desire for God may ebb and flow, His desire for me is constant. Every thought carries a spiritual charge that moves me either a little closer to or a little further from God. Every aspect of my life, work, relationships, hobbies, errands, is of immense and genuine interest to God. And my path to experiencing God's presence will not look quite like anyone else's. He says, these are the things we need to remind ourselves every day. This is what life by the Spirit is like. It's understanding that God is with me at every moment. It comes down to things like this. When you see somebody in need, and you kind of got this little prompting on the inside, like, I should do something about that. I should help this person. I should do something to help alleviate their suffering or maybe contribute something to help them in their need. And then you think the second thought is, yeah, but I don't know if I can afford that. Or, no, there's other people who are better than that. Or, I just really don't have the time to stop and really pay pay any attention to them. And what we are doing every time we do that is, in essence, we are saying no to the Spirit of God because it was the Spirit of God that prompted us in the first place. See, that's what it is. You read God's Word and you begin to understand who He is and what He's all about. And you begin to understand He is at work in my life and he's a, he, he, he is teaching me and prompting me and speaking with me and walking with me every moment. And then it becomes things like I don't go to church because God keeps attendance. And when it comes to the end, if I have too many excessive absences or tardies, I'm somehow going to be disqualified. And it's not that I read and study the Bible because there's going to be a final exam at the end. And if I don't get all the answers right, I'm not going to pass and I'm not going to get in. And it's not that I serve because now I'm on probation and I got to do so many hours of community service. That is not the motivation for what we do. Now we gather together with brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning and we celebrate God's presence because there is something that is energizing about sharing life with other believers and to understand I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And we gather together and we sing God's praises and His praises fill the room and there's something that changes in me because of that. And I listen to God's Word being taught and understand Him just a little bit better. And I study His Word because I want to know who this God is that has loved me so much. And I serve Him Because I understand 
that when I serve, I am really fulfilling God's purpose for my life. And I benefit when I serve. It changes everything. It is the promptings of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I, I know that I use sailing illustrations an awful lot, but bear with me. Because a good sailor, a good sailor knows how to read the wind. Because your only form of power, your only form of really moving anywhere is the wind. And a good sailor learns how to read the wind. And you can. You can. You can look on the water and you can actually see puffs of wind working their way to your boat. You learn to recognize them. You learn to learn which direction the wind is coming from. And you learn how to spot it. Because when you're going towards the wind, you've got to spot it in a different way than when you're running with the wind. And a good sailor learns how to read the wind on the water. And you look out there, especially when you're racing, and you see over there, there is a hole. There's no wind over there, but there's wind over here. If we go over there, we're going to be dead still. If we go this way, we'll keep moving. And that's all this life with the Spirit is about. It's learning to recognize God's promptings. It's learning to say yes to His promptings. Because the more that you say yes, the more you hear His voice. You develop an ear. You develop a sight to be able to recognize This is God's Spirit working here. We have got to be convinced that this life that He has given us is truly free. And that freedom is not so that we would take some other form of slavery, but it's a freedom to live in love. And love is the only expression of this free life. And then understand with that, that His love now frees us from our self-indulgence. This freedom that He gives us gives us the opportunity to choose differently. He says, you were called to be free, but don't lose your freedom. use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. He says, God's love is at work in you by His Spirit at work in your life. And it frees you to choose and to act in a way that is not the way you would normally do it. Most of our lives center around us. Most of our decisions have to do with what I'm going to get out of it. And He says, You've been freed from that. You have freedom now to choose and to act and to think differently. And notice, by the way, this is intentional. He says, we walk by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of your nature. There is something that we do. We don't make the changes, but we learn to walk in this new life. We walk. There is active participation in what God is doing in our life. And we begin to see freedom in a different way. We see our freedom as an opportunity because that's what it is. At every moment, you get a choice. And I will choose either something that will move me closer to God or I will choose something that will move me in the other direction away from Him. Love gives us that choice. It is the freedom to make a choice towards God. And we knew that when we do that, we begin to see sin for what it really is. It is a distortion of relationships. He gives a list, not a full list, not a complete list, a partial list. But he said, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. That's quite a list. (laughs) And, And did you notice that list? There's no like ranking of which is worse. It's just kind of a hodgepodge all thrown together. And you look at that list and you think, well, I don't have a problem with any of those things. I can't remember the last orgy I went to. You know, and I, I, can't, I don't think I've ever practiced witchcraft or sorcery. 
But jealousy, ooh. Envy? Hatred? See, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just kind of a partial list to kind of help you understand. This is what it looks like, folks. This life of love, how do you live it? Well, here's why you don't live it. You read through that list, and it's a hodgepodge. There's a whole, a whole bunch of things. There's some things that we would rank as, as greater sins than others. He says it's all the same. And the one thing that they all have in common, because it's quite a scattered list, the thing that they have in common is every one of those things destroy relationships. Every one of those things either destroy my relationships with other people or destroy my relationship with God. Let me go through the list again with a little explanation. Sexual immorality is anything that uses others for self-gratification. And doing that debases and destroys intimacy. Impurity. It's anything that sets my everyday life apart from a holy God and pollutes it. Debauchery exalts sensuality and dehumanizes the person that God created in His own image. Idolatry worships my own ingenuity and my own creativity, severing me from a life with God. Sorcery or witchcraft seeks a spirituality of my own making to my own ends. And when I do that, it trivializes the true worth of my soul before God. Hatred harbors feelings of hostility and thereby destroys personal relationships. Discord is when my own insistence on having to be right is given elevated status over God's commandment to love. Jealousy doesn't allow me to share in the joy of celebrating the good fortune of others. Fits of rage explode all over the mistakes and weaknesses of those around me. Selfish ambition doesn't care who it steps on on its climb up the ladder of success. Dissensions and factions splinter community into antagonistic rival groups. Envy fuels my own feelings of discontent while resenting the prosperity of others. Drunkenness, orgies, indulges appetites to excess. And it enslaves people in destructive addictions that suffocate their lives. Let's a little more clear now. The things that destroy relationships, the things that hurt other people, the things that destroy my worth before God and my relationship with Him, those are the acts of sinful nature. And you know what they are? If you look at that list again, they are all pathetic attempts at love and admiration. That's what they really are. To elevate my status, to satisfy my own need to be loved. That's what they are. They are pathetic, inauthentic Ways of trying to just find the love that God has given freely. He says what it does. They look like freedom. Because nobody can tell me what to do. But in truth, they're enslaving. It just puts you in slavery. They're in conflict with each other, Paul writes. So you do not do what you want. It's just another form of slavery. So it says that's what it doesn't look like. Let me tell you now what it does look like. The love that He gives us not only frees us from something, frees us to something. It frees us to engage in life. It frees us to participate and engage in growth. It frees me to become a part of community and build relationships. Notice this list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says against these things, there's no law. This is what love looks like. And and notice, by the way, fruit is singular. Because sometimes we kind of teach this like fruits of the Spirit, as if there are nine different qualities and characteristics that you work on kind of one at a time. They are not. They are one harvest. They are one produce of the Spirit's work in my life. All of them at work at the same time. Now, some of us might need more work on others than, than, than some. You know, I mean, one of my biggies is patience. I, I struggle with that one probably, well, I was going to say more than any others, but I can think of a few others there too. But patience is a really tough one for me. Yesterday, we went to a ball game. Uh, my daughter actually got tickets to the Giants game. She got three tickets. So my wife and I went with my daughter to the Giants game. Great game. Beautiful sunshine, warm weather. The Giants won. Bonds hit 744th home run. Wonderful game. Except I was the one that always ran the errands. You know? So we got there and we sit down and we kind of get through the first inning. And my wife starts saying, you know, I think I'm hungry now. Let's get something to eat. Well, of course, she can't eat a hot dog. I mean, I go to a ball game. I eat a hot dog. No, no. It's got to be something healthy. There is one concession stand in the whole ballpark that sells healthy food. And it's on the other side of the stadium. I got to walk all the way around. And I get there and there's a line. So I got to stand in line. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I finally get tuna sandwich on a croissant. How healthy can that be, you know? So we get up there and we get through. So now I've missed the second inning, you know? So I get back there and we watch the third inning, watch the fourth inning. I kind of like a malted now, you know? Okay, well, of course... We got to the game. I thought I had plenty of money, but you get there and the prices are so exorbitant. I don't have enough money now. So now I got to go to the ATM. Well, there's one ATM. It's on the other side of the ballpark. So I go to the ATM and there's a line there too because none of those people brought enough money either. So I stand in line for the ATM. I get through the ATM. I get my money. Now I got to go stand in the other line to get the malted. And I'm standing in line and I'm patient and I'm waiting. It gets up to my turn and it's my turn to pay, my turn to order. And the person decides it's time to cash out their drawer. So I got to wait for the manager to come over and they're counting the man. And I'm just, and I'm just frying inside. And I just thought, you know, and everybody in front of me wanted nachos. You know, where you got to get the chips, take it over, put on the cheese sauce, get the jalapeno. All I wanted was two maltas. They're already in the cup. Just take them and give them to me. And I'm taking, I'm standing in line and I'm just fuming. And I'm thinking, okay, patience. We're talking about patience tomorrow. You're going to be patient. And I did really good. I stood in line, I took a deep breath, I waited my turn. When it was my turn, I didn't make a snide remark. I just simply said, two malted, please. And when I got him, I said, thank you. And I walked back and I was doing so good. Of course, now I had missed another inning. And I was doing so good, I thought, okay, I did it. I didn't blow up at anybody, I didn't make a snide comment, I didn't, I didn't lose it, I did really, really good. Until I got back to where my wife and my daughter were sitting. And I gave them their malteds. And I said, I feel like I have spent this whole game standing in line. I blew it. (laughs) I was doing so good. And then just, you know, I just couldn't keep it in me. I had to vent on somebody. And there it was. Blah! Spit it out. He says, God works in your life to change that kind of stuff. And it's not one at a time. He's working on all all of them all of the time. He is in this process of changing our lives. And notice, by the way, it is fruit. It's a harvest. It's something 
that is brought about without your help. Oh, you participate in it, but it's something that God is growing. That's the point. And Jesus said, how does this grow in your life? Jesus said, remain in me and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And notice, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is my job in in cultivating this fruit in my life? It's simply learning to stay close to Jesus. It's It's learning to recognize His presence in every moment of my day, in every decision that I have to make. And every, tr- every trying of my, my temper <laughs> and my patience. It's to realize that i got to stay close to Him because He's my source. If I don't stay close to Him, I die. And my sole job as a follower of Jesus Christ is just learning to stay close to Jesus. That's what He's called us to do. And sometimes that's real easy because sometimes he seems so close and so much a part of my life and so full and, and present in my life. And sometimes he does not. Sometimes he does not. And then it's hard. We kind of have some benefit here of this understanding this because we live really close to the Napa Valley. And if you go up to the Napa Valley, you understand there are seasons. In the springtime, little buds start to form. And growth starts to rekindle. And you see just the beginnings of new fruit starting to show itself. And then through the lush, warm summer, it matures and it grows. And it comes to the fall and the crush. And you drive through the valley and you smell the wine being crushed. And it just and there are different seasons. And there is also winter. There is also winter. When the vines are cut back and they lay dormant. And they seem so dead and brown and lifeless. Same thing is true in your life. There will be times when you'll see inklings of growth and spurts of new life. And then there will be times that you will enjoy the warmth of the sun of God's, God's grace in your life and the flow of His Spirit and the water of, and just refreshing and renewing and causing growth. And then sometimes you'll go through the crush. And then you'll hit winter and it'll feel dead and barren. And lifeless. But the truth is. God is there. In the winters of life. He is there. And if you stay connected to him. He keeps giving you life. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not sense it. He might seem a million miles away from you. It might feel like your prayers go no further than the ceiling of your bedroom. But he's still there. He is still working. And he's bearing fruit in your life. And my only job is to stay connected to him. Did you notice the things in that list of the fruit of of the Spirit? Did you notice what they all have in common? They all have in common that they are done in community and relationship, either with God or myself. The acts of the sinful nature destroy relationship, destroy community. The fruit of the Spirit nurtures it and enlivens it. Love allows me to open up my life and share it with others. 
It's learning to accept and appreciate the uniqueness of every other individual just, the way, just as they are, the way God created them in His own image. Joy celebrates each day as a gift from God and recognizes His presence in every moment. And it shares that enjoyment with those around them. Have you noticed that things are much more enjoyable when you do them together with friends? Peace rests in a quiet contentment in whole and healthy relationships. Patience develops through the relationships and circumstances that stretch our own tolerance levels with an ability to learn to trust in God's timing. Kindness reaches out to others with simple acts of understanding and compassion. Goodness is demonstrated in acts of generosity towards others. Faithfulness fosters trust and builds relationships. It's dependability. It's a willingness to hang tough with someone even through the most difficult crises. Gentleness can handle the harshest treatment without having to retaliate. And self-control manages my appetites, desires, and impulses in ways that are helpful and life-enhancing instead of destructive. He says, that's what God's doing. That's what He's growing in your life. How do you live this life of freedom? Love. And our only job as a church is to stay close to Jesus and learn what that love life looks like. Would you bow your heads with me? The freedom that God has given us through Christ is a freedom from egocentric, self-centered living and freedom to love and be loved. Most likely... It will not come through great acts of sacrifice, although it might for you. But mostly it just comes in doing the things you're already doing, but doing them with a different attitude, from a different perspective, in a different way. It's just learning to live in God's presence every moment of my day. Realizing that's where he wants to be. That's where he wants me to be. When I do that, I discover the power of his presence through his spirit at work in me. And I want to invite you this morning. You've never taken that first step of faith. Never truly entered into a relationship with Christ that you discover to be life-changing. It's all ritual. It's all rule-keeping. It's all going through the motions, but there's no life there. Take a step of faith this morning and open up your life to Him. It might be for the very first time. It might be something you did years ago, but it's been a bit of a dry time right now. It's been a winter in your season of life. God is with you. And I want to invite you to make this your prayer as I lead us. Lord, the truth is, most of my life, I live for myself. I wish I could say differently. But the truth is, pretty much all revolves around me. And it's getting me nowhere. And it's caused me heartache and pain. It's hurt relationships that I've had. It's hurt my relationship with you. Ultimately, it's destroying those little parts of my soul that you want to restore. And I've made mistakes, and I've had failures and struggles along the way. But today, right here, right now, 
I'm asking for a fresh start. I admit to you my weaknesses and my failings and my sin and all those self-gratifying things that are part of that selfish human nature. And I ask you to come in and by your spirit, change me. Let the grace of the price that you paid on the cross apply to me. Forgive my past. Make me right with you. Put your spirit within me and grow that love life that you want. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together for this closing song. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.